Vasudevaya. Om Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So we are finishing the uh, Daksha uh, Yagna, uh, the sacrifice performed by Daksha, which is the last chapter in this pastime. And we ended, uh, well, we, we ended with verse 28, so we're on verse 29, because we thought it would be appropriate to have Lord Shiva... Um, uh, speak <laughs> in the beginning of uh, of this. So, Lord Shiva, so, Oma Jnana Timrandasya Jnananjana Shalakaya Chakshur Militam Yena Tazmai Shri Gurave Namaha. So what's happening here is that all those who were present in the yagna before um, are offering prayers to Vishnu, Lord Vishnu who just showed up, Lord Narayan who just showed up. Um, uh, at the restart of the sacrifice. And um, so they're all offering prayers to Lord Vishnu. And it's very interesting to see the different kind of prayers that they offer. So here Lord Shiva says, My dear Lord, my mind and consciousness are always fixed on your lotus feet, which, as the source of all benediction and the fulfillment of all desires, are worshipped by all liberated sages because your lotus feet are worthy of worship. With my mind fixed on your lotus feet, I am no longer disturbed by persons who blaspheme me, claiming that my activities are not purified. I do not mind their accusations, and I excuse them out of compassion, just as you exhibit compassion to all living entities. So here's a nice point that when Lord Shiva is saying that when his mind is fixed, on the Lord, his mind is no longer disturbed. So just like uh, today in uh, the Sunday Open House class I'm speaking, and uh, we're talking about the 24 gurus, that, uh, that um, the, the very last instruction that Krishna gives in the Bhagavatam to Uddhava is he tells a story about uh, Yadu, Maharaj Yadu meeting uh, Dattatreya, this Avaduta Brahmana. And the Brahmana talks about the 24 gurus that he has in the material world. Uh, do we need to show, because this is, can we turn that off? Because it's not always Prabhupada, it's sometimes this or that. Yeah. Uh, and so one of the gurus is the ocean. Right? And in other words, he's saying that he sees, as he walks around the world, he gets lessons spiritual lessons and so one of the lessons he gets is when he sees the ocean because the ocean uh, when it's a heavy rainy season and the rivers are flowing like anything I don't know if anyone noticed there's a big floods right now in Kerala right yeah terrible floods in Kerala right now um, <clears throat> due to the monsoon but when they rush into the ocean the ocean doesn't get bigger or smaller remain it can remain calm and similarly, during the hot season, when the rivers are practically dried up, the ocean doesn't become smaller. It just remains equipoised. So um, the, the uh, Brahmana 
saw this and learned the lesson from the ocean. And so here, um, uh, Lord Shiva is saying that when he fixes his mind on Krishna, then uh, Krishna is like a, an ocean of mercy, an ocean of kindness, an ocean of beauty, etc. Um, he's no longer disturbed by people who blaspheme him, by by people who you know, say things badly about him. He said he doesn't mind their accusations, and he excuses them out of compassion. Uh, because, why? Because he knows that Krishna, Lord Vishnu, is compassion to all living entities. So, uh, nice prayer there by Lord Shiva. And do we have, oh yeah, we do. Any questions, comments on that? Okay. Uh, text 30. So now Brigamuni is speaking, and he says, My dear Lord, all living entities, beginning from the highest, namely Lord Brahma, down to an ordinary ant, are under the influence of the insurmountable spell of illusory energy. And thus they are ignorant of their constitutional position. Everyone believes in the concept of the body, and all are thus submerged in the darkness of illusion. They are actually unable to understand how you live in every living entity as a super soul, nor can they understand your absolute position. But you are the eternal friend and protector of all surrendered souls. Therefore, please be kind towards us and forgive all our offenses. So when we're in ignorance, we can easily commit offenses. Right? You know, someone who, you know, I mean, Krishna... Ignorance uh, is not um, an excuse, right? Just like if you come from India and you start driving on the left side of the road in America and the policeman pulls you over and says, oh, policeman, stop. What can I do? I come from India. We drive on the left side of the road there. Here you have this crazy idea. You drive on the right side of the road. In the future, I won't do like that. And then please say, what's your name, driver's license, <laughs> registration, insurance, here's your ticket, $150 for driving on the wrong side of the road, right? Uh, ignorance is not an excuse, right? But ignorance does often um, uh, can create trouble for us, especially if we're ignorant of a exalted soul's exaltedness. And we speak ill of them, or we we are discourteous to them, or etc. So here he's including himself. He says he he says Lord even Lord Brahma uh, himself. We've all uh, committed some offenses. So Prabhupada writes: ignorant personalities or conditioned souls have no choice but to accept their precarious condition under material nature. The only remedy is to surrender to Vishnu and always pray to be excused. So if we do commit it, some, uh, always pray to be excused. One should depend only on the causeless mercy of the Lord for deliverance and not even slightly on one's own strength. That is the perfect position of a Krishna conscious person. So... Um, a, as we advance in Krishna consciousness, would you like a cushion? You're okay like that? Okay. Um, as we advance in Krishna consciousness, we become more aware of a few things. 
Uh, one thing is how powerful Maya is. Right? Maya is incredibly powerful um, because she's an energy of the Lord's. <laughs> and one of her roles is to help us become more sincere and become more dependent uh, on Krishna. And part of that is to, in different ways, by showing her strength, Maya's strength, illusion's strength, the attractive, how much we're attracted to illusion, uh, for us then to become aware that our own spiritual muscles are not strong enough to uh, protect ourselves from illusion. Illusion is so strong. And the fact is that most people in this world are so 24-7 covered by illusion, they don't even know it. Just like a fish doesn't know they're in water. Right? It's not like, you say, oh, wow, this is, I'm, real, I'm so lucky I'm in water right now. Right? It just it's considers its natural habitat. Right? So illusion, bodily, the bodily concept of life and thinking of myself as a man or a woman or as part of this family or this country and, and to be seeking my own enjoyment and who cares about God kind of thing, that's just natural for most people. Um, but here, uh, one should learn, so we should learn as aspiring devotees to depend on the mercy of the Lord. Now that, so... Sometimes we think, you know, like if, uh, if someone is on welfare and they're dependent on the mercy of the government to get their checks, sometimes they just say, eh, I'll just, you know, sleep in until noon and not do anything. But the checks come every month and I get my uh, food stamps or whatever. And, you know, uh, that, kind of, that is not the dependence of a devotee on Krishna. I can. I don't have to do anything, Krishna. I'm totally dependent upon you. No, uh, the uh, devotee acts as if things are dependent upon him, but knows that everything's dependent upon Krishna. It praises, you know. So we are actively dependent on Krishna. We 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 do our best to serve Krishna, but we know that Parusham Nishu that Krishna is the ability in all people. So it's, so, it's a, uh, so it's quite a sentence here. One should depend only on the causeless mercy of the Lord for deliverance and not even slightly on one's own strength. The other example that's given in the uh, uh, Bhagavad Gita, Bhavami Nachirat Partha, that Krishna says he's a swift deliverer from the ocean of material existence. So, if we are, you know, if we somehow land in the middle of the ocean, halfway between London and New York, right? Is, is there any chance that even if we are, uh, what's that guy's name? I was, I'm so old, I was going to say Mark Spitz. But who's the guy who won all the gold medals? Michael Phelps. Yeah, Phelps. Yeah, Michael Phelps. Even if we were Michael Phelps, right? Uh, there's, no, there's no hope. Even the best swimmer in the world there's no hope if you're in the middle, halfway between London and New York, that on your own you're going to be able to swim to safety. Right? There's no chance. Right? But if someone in a helicopter comes and you know, lowers down the rope right, and you grab a hold of that. Right? So that is our situation, actually, according to the sentence. 
that to actually get out of illusion, uh, we need to depend on Krishna's causeless mercy and his strength. The Lord is everyone's friend, but he is especially friendly to the surrendered soul. The simple process, therefore, is that a conditioned soul should remain surrendered to the Lord, and the Lord will give him all protection to keep him out of the clutches of material contamination. So that, is, that you know, explains a large part of a devotee's mindset all in a couple of sentences. Some thoughts? On that? No? Okay. It's quite uh, powerful. All right, so the next verse says, so now it's Lord Brahma who's speaking. And he says, my dear Lord, your personality and eternal form cannot be understood by any person who is trying to know you through the different processes of acquiring knowledge. Your position is always transcendental to the material creation, whereas the empiric attempt to understand you is material, as are its objectives and instruments. So um, if Krishna is beyond this world, but we're only using instruments of this world to try to understand him, it's, it's incompatible. Right, it's 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 not. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's, uh, um, you know, an example. Uh, I'm just thinking, like, you know, yeah. Let's say, let's say you only the only instrument you have is a little set of tweezers, and you're trying to like fix a car uh, engine with a tweezer. Right? They're just not at all. Um, acquit you. Those the tweezers are not the right instrument to you know, uh, you know, crank open this or fix that. You need all these different kind of wrenches and power tools. Let's say you had a let's say even something simple as changing a tire, and you all you had was tweezers, <laughs> and you had to you know those things get a little rusty those uh, bolts, and you're trying to right. It's just the wrong instrument. So just using the material mind. And the material intelligence to try to understand the Lord is as challenging as, uh, or as impossible as, you know, using tweezers to change a tire. Right? Because uh, it says here, your position is always transcendental. So the empiric attempt of just not the descending, but the ascending attempt, that I'm going to be able to figure out the supreme with my mind and intelligence that is, uh, that is what Lord Brahma is saying. That is not the way to learn. Um, an attempt of the empiric in the purport, an attempt of the empiric philosophers to understand the absolute truth by speculation is always futile, because their process of understanding, their objective, and their instruments by which they try to understand the absolute truth, are all material. And then a little further down. Because so the best, you know, you can, it, it's just, you can never come up with the, an understanding of Krishna, God, the person, by the empiric process. Right? You might be able to understand something about Brahman and it all 
pervasive energy, but understand that Krishna plays a flute or that he lives in Goloka Vrindavan, uh, impossible, right, without descending knowledge. So Prabhupada writes further, the difference between the impersonalist and the personalist is that the impersonalist, limited by their speculative processes, cannot even approach the Supreme Personality of God because they don't believe in him, that there's a person behind things. Whereas a devotee pleases the Supreme Personality of Godhead through his transcendental loving service. Sevan Mukehi. This is a verse from uh, Padma Purana, I believe. Due to the service attitude of the devotee, the Lord is revealed to him. So isn't that interesting? We are, Krishna reveals himself to us when, when we have the right attitude. It's not even exactly the service we do, right? Because, you know, Krishna has everything. You know, we, we, we mop the floor. It's like, you know, okay, that's nice, right? But if we have the attitude that I'm so fortunate, I get to mop this floor of the Supreme Lord, this is the most, then Krishna is very, very happy with that attitude of service. So um, knowledge, knowledge is a process, and it's not, simply reading a book. That doesn't mean we don't read a book. For example, we have all the Bhagavatams and the Chaitanya Charitamrita and the Bhagavad Gita. We read books. Um, but the knowledge, even in those transcendental literatures, um, are revealed to the devotee based on our service attitude. It's a, read, studying Shastra is, a, uh, is an exchange it's not just, you know, reading the New York Times or the Washington Post or whatever, right? Um, it's, it's an exchange because uh, Krishna has appeared, as Prabhupada writes, uh, he's appeared in the pages of the Bhagavatam. So when we read the Shastra, we, we also should have, you know, we don't want to be falling asleep. Right when we're reading, or our mind is tend to other places. But when we're really attentive, then um, what's that verse? Srinvatam Swakata Krishna, Punya Shravana. How does it go? Kirtanam, Hridayanto Hebadrani Vidunoti Suritsutam. That that by just the process of hearing about Krishna, the impurities in the heart are cleansed. Hmm. So this is also something that's coming up today in, uh, in the Sunday Open House class because there, one of the other um, instructions that the Avaduta gets is by seeing the, the hunter and the deer. And the hunter blows his, uh, his horn in such a way that attracts the deer. And then the deer is attracted to the sound and then is caught and killed. So the saintly person, uh, the, the Avadutus concludes that a saintly person is careful not to hear music or songs uh, about mundane enjoyment, but to hear glorifications of the Lord. Because one uh, leads in one direction and the other leads very powerfully in the other direction. In Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna therefore condemns such materialists as mudhas. Mudha means rascal. It is said in the Gita, only rascals think of Lord Krishna as an ordinary person. They do not know what Lord Krishna's position is or what his transcendental potencies are. 
unaware of his transcendental potencies, the impersonalists deride the person of Lord Krishna, whereas the devotees, by dint of their service attitude, can understand him as the personality of Godhead. In the 10th chapter of the Gita, Arjuna also confirms that it is very difficult to understand the personality of the Lord. And so that's, it's not unusual, it's not surprising that people deride Krishna. First of all, if, we, if we're just using our material intelligence, we're going to hear about this in a subsequent purport. But we're just hearing about our material intelligence, right? Um, we think, well, come on, how could he lift Govardhan Hill at seven years old with his pinky, right? Or how can Lord Brahma have four heads or, you know, or how can there, you know, all the different, you know, amazing things that are described in the Shastra. And the example sometimes given is that uh, a frog in a well thinks that, that this well is the be-all and end-all, right? And thinks that this water is such a huge, vast uh, amount of water in this well, right? And then some stranger comes along and tries to tell the frog, well, there's this thing called the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific Ocean. And, and because his only frame of reference is his well, he says, well, that's amazing. Is it twice as large as my well? Is it 10 times as large as my well? <laughs> because he just can't fathom. So, you know, so again, about the Shastra, they, it uh, introduces the personality of Krishna. And I think this also comes up later, but I'll say it now. The, the interesting thing about Krishna consciousness and the sh- descriptions in the Shastra is that whether we believe that, let's say, you know, if Krishna exists, if he actually does play a flute and, you know, associates with the cowherd boys and with Srimati Radharani and his favorite place is Vrindavan, does it matter whether we believe that or not? Does that at all, in any way, even in the slightest, change that reality? If Krishna, you know, Krishna's dancing with the gopis, he says, oh, well, you know, Bhakti Andy has some doubts about you, Krishna. I said, oh, well, maybe I shouldn't be dancing with the gopis. You know, right? it has absolutely no effect. The reality is reality. Now, whether we accept it or not, that's another thing. That's our free will. That's up to us. But at least according to Shastra and according to the great Acharyas, this is the reality. And whether we like it or not, that's the, you know, whether we think, oh, no, no, you know, it should be something like different like that. It should be different, you know. Uh, you know, bring that up to Krishna because he is what he is, who he is. And we, we don't change that by our mental acceptance or rejection of it. It just is. Uh, microphone? Yeah, I think it has to be turned on. Is it on already? Green light? I'll just repeat it. Yeah, let me just see if it can Prabhu. Yeah, let's see. Hold on one second. Hi, Krishna. Yeah, it works. So, uh, Prabhu, it's, we are still believing that Krishna dances with the gopis. We have not witnessed it, right? Correct. Uh, and... I believe in the importance of belief. I mean, I right. know the importance of belief because uh, if I don't believe in myself, then I can never achieve what I want to achieve. Mm-hmm. So we have right. Belief, we have faith. Belief. Right, faith is there 
in everybody. Right. I believe that my parents gave birth to me. I never questioned them. Right. But I can't, I mean, the Shastras say that Krishna dances with the gopis, but factually I don't know where Krishna dances with the gopis. Oh, it's, I can tell you, it's in Vrindavan. Right. <laughs> 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 but but uh, no no but it's a it's a good point. Um, but faith is definitely there. I was you know trying to look a little into um, uh, science because we you know the Bhagavatam also talks about and the Gita talks about re- about evolution, but a different kind of evolution, the evolution of the soul into different bodily forms, right? Uh, rather than the idea of you know. Uh, um, you know, that there was this 10 to 20 billion years ago, there was a, a, an explosion and single cell, you know, et cetera. And that, you know, and from that came, you know, peacocks and giraffes and, you know, things like that. Um, and I was just, I was trying to, you know, look into, so I was on a the National Geographic website, which is, you know, not, it's a popular magazine, but they, at the same time, it's not foolish. You know what I mean? Like, the, like there's some crazy websites, and then there's some that you know talk about science and things that's way over my head. But constantly, constantly, you know, the the scientists speculate. The scientists consider possibly this or that. You know, there's um, guesses about that. So from a shastric point of view, uh, it's kind of like the frog in the well kind of thing because the shastra brings about such a broader uh, concept of reality than that. The diff- the, the, but but to, to, um, to your point, though, is the Shastra doesn't just say, just believe and you know, put, on, you know, put on blinders and just have faith, right? But actually, uh, the devotee gradually uh, gets, the, gets things revealed to him or her because by pleasing Krishna. So... Uh, and then we have faith that someone on the level of Srila Prabhupada had, you know, this full realization of the Shastric things. But for someone like us, this is the example I like to give. Um, I grew up in New York. And so um, one of the things that we did, it was just part of what people, at least middle class or higher than middle class people would do growing up, is we would go to uh, Broadway shows, Broadway plays, right? Um, it was just now it's so expensive. In those days, it wasn't. So when I grew up, it wasn't such an expensive thing. So they give you at every Broadway play, they give you this. Uh, they give you a program, and it gives you just a general idea that uh, Act One, Scene One; Act One, Scene Two; Act One, Act Two, Scene One; Scene Two. Right? You know. So you get that, and you probably have you know kind of faith in it that that's going to be the process. But as uh, you get to Act One, Scene One, and this. The, what's on the stage is exactly what's described there. You say, okay, this is going to, you know, and then scene two. And then you have faith that, scene, that act two and act three are going to be like that as well. So for a devotee, we don't immediately get the realizations about Krishna dancing with the gopis in Vrindavan. But Krishna does give us realizations about how we're not this body, about the bliss of kirtan, about, um, you know, the, the different aspects of Krishna consciousness do gradually become revealed. So it's not just you got to believe, but there's revelation along the way. Is that all right? But it comes not, it's not a material process. It's a relational process. Just like 
um, you, uh, well, traditionally, very traditionally, right? I mean, traditionally, 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 you know, you would meet your, your spouse uh, for the first time on the wedding day, right? I mean, that's the whole idea, even in, in the Western civilization, right, of, of taking off the veil, right? And because that, oh, hi. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> uh, but so either that traditionally or in modern times, you meet someone and then you go on a first date and then a second date and gradually as the trust develops, you get to know them better. Or in the traditional cultures, as you get married, you know, it, it says that right in arranged marriages, love develops over time, right? Um, not that you fall in love first, you know, et cetera. So, but the, the point is that it's a relationship that you get to know more and more about the person. As the person trusts you, they, they tell you more about their inner life and their inner thoughts and things like that. So it's similar with Krishna. Yes, Prabhu? You had your hand up? Um, yeah. I, I uh, hold on, get a microphone. You know, this, this question is very beautiful and, and most of the intellectuals uh, they they prefer to have some kind of witness. Our uh, knowledge today is very witness oriented. Unless you witness it, you don't believe it. Right. Uh, but but the the Hindu way of living says we accept, which is two things we accept, which is one first is shastra pramana, as you said. Yeah, shastra pramana. That's right. And second, we accept is apta pramana, which is the guru, you know, uh, Prabhupada right. or anyone who experienced it. Yes. Uh, but when it comes to the question of Gopi and the Krishna, I, this is my uh, perspective towards looking at it. That when you want to understand that uh, rasa lila, we call it, uh, you need to become a Krishna, and and it's a process, as you explained. <laughs> Uh, you, you need to become a Krishna Das, a <laughs> servant of Krishna. Uh, trying to become Krishna is is one of the big problems. You see, if you look if you look at philosophy from an existential point of view, how did we get here in the first place, right? The uh, I, Krishna says this in the Gita: "Icha dvesha samutena, dvandva mohena bharata." And he says that uh, we came here because of it, it, icha means desire, right? And dwesh means ang- uh, envy or anger or um, not anger, um, jealousy. Okay. So the, the original uh, desire is that I want to be the supreme. I want to be the controller and the enjoyer. And the dwesh is who does Krishna think he is? You know, why is who made him God? You know, why, you know, you know. So we don't want to become Krishna. We want to become Krishna conscious as servants of Krishna. And then, as this, as this Prabhupada says here, Sevan Mukehi Jivado. So the, the whole verse goes, Atashri Krishna Namadi, Nabhavet Grayam Indriyai, Sevan Mukehi Jivado, Swayameva Sparatyada. That Krishna, um, Atashri Krishna Namadi. One cannot understand Krishna's name and Krishna, his name, form, qualities, and pastimes. Nabavet Grayamindriyai, just by one's senses. But Seva Muke, but by serving, Seva Muke Hi Jivado, beginning with the, the tongue, the, 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 which means to chant and to take prasadam. 
right? Then Swayam Eva Sprachita, then Krishna reveals. So yes, by becoming Krishna Das or Dasi, then we can understand Krishna and his Rasalila. I would like to add a very simple example to it is dance and the dancer. You know, it's not two different things, but the same thing. You cannot separate those two. I believe... You cannot separate the dance and the dancer, yet there are two things. So this is uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught this, the actual philosophy, achintya beda, beda tattva, that we are inconceivably, simultaneously, one and different with the Lord. We're the one in quality, in the sense that we are satchit ananda, full of eternity, knowledge, and bliss, and so is God. But we are like the drop of water compared to the ocean of water. But we don't merge into the, we remain individual um, eternally. That comes up also later here, where Krishna says in the Gita, Natevaham dachunasam natvamneme janadipat natvamneme janadipat He says to Arjuna that never was there a time that I did not exist, nor you, nor all these kings. Nor in the future shall any of us cease to be me, Krishna, you, Arjuna, and all these kings. So we never become one with God. Never, 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 never. That is a misunderstanding of the Shastra. We always, we, but we are, we have a one, our oneness is oneness of interest. That we want to, like Madhvacharya, no, Ramanujacharya, you always see the pictures of him like this. Right? Because he's, he's not saying peace, brother. <laughs> he wasn't from the 1960s. He was uh, two. There's the Lord and the Atma. The Paramatma and the Atma. And they don't merge, but they have a, a oneness of interest that the devotee just wants to love Krishna. And then Krishna just wants to offer his love and devotion to the devotee. So, yes, the dancer and the dancing... Um, are, uh, you could say in one sense, one in interest, but there still is the dancer and what the dancer is doing, is dancing. So we want to, uh, uh, so Krishna in the rasa dance, he's dancing with the individual gopis. It's not that the gopis become Krishna. They, uh, the exchange is one of love. Is that okay? Thank you. Yes, thank you. Yes, Prabhu. By the way, you are a scholar. I saw your PowerPoint presentation. Oh, thank you. My God, it's fantastic. Okay. <laughs> now, I was thinking about the witness. The, the witness. Question, the question that he brought up. Uh, there's a Dr. Ian Stevenson. He had studied reincarnation. At, at Virginia, University of Virginia. Yeah, and he's, he's documented. Uh, he did thorough research. He documented 2,000 cases. I think he wrote 14 books on reincarnation and... Yeah. And he still had doubt in his mind whether he believed in it or not. And the reason was that he never seen it happen. And, you know, he, he had not witnessed how it happens. Right. So, so that's where Shastra Praman comes in. Well, we don't so, witness, yeah, and as Prabhuji was saying about guru, right, or as teacher. Because yeah. also, you know, uh, scientists who have these super, super expensive equipment and accelerators and stuff, you and I don't have access to that. No. Right? So we don't witness it ourselves. We have some faith in that expert see, yeah. who's witnessing it. Mm -hmm. 
So it's not different than spiritual life that we have that, uh, that faith and that expert. The, the, advantage, the advantage the devotee has is that actually by taking to the sadhana, the practice of bhakti, then we actually get revelation, we actually get realization. And, and it doesn't just remain faith in science sub, scientist sub, but actually we become, the, the, the interesting thing is that um, the scientific process, what, is the, what are the three steps of the scientific process? Hypothesis. Experiment analysis. and conclusion, yeah, and analysis, conclusion, right. So we also have that in Krishna consciousness. We have the hypothesis, which is in the Shastra, and then we have the experimentation. The difference is the experimentation is not done in some test tube out there. <laughs> We're the experiment. <laughs> we actually do the experiment ourselves. We chant Krishna's names. We serve Krishna's devotees. We hear the Bhagavad Gita. We take prasadam, we worship the deity, we become the experiment. And then, uh, as we're just quoting this verse, or as Krishna says in the fourth chapter of the Gita, Yeyatamam Prapadyante, he says, I, I reciprocate as someone surrenders, as, as they approach me. Or as Prabhupada would say, it's not just reciprocal. Because we take one step towards Krishna, he takes a thousand steps towards us. So it's, uh, it's more than reciprocal. So we are doing an experiment. We, we are the test tube. <laughs> Is that all right? Good, great conversation. Thank you. Okay, so now Indra's going to make a prayer. And he says, my dear Lord, he's praying to Lord Vishnu, your transcendental form with eight hands and weapons in each of them appears for the welfare of the entire universe. And it is very pleasing to the mind and eyes. In such a form, your lordship is always prepared to punish the demons who are envious of your devotees. And Prabhupada writes towards the end of the purport, the activities of the Lord are pleasing to experimental vision also. We were just talking about this, right? Experiments. But impersonalists will not believe in his identity because they study the personality of the Lord by comparing their personality to his. So, you see, if we... So, the... the uh, we try to take transcendence and bring it down to our reality instead of take our, and instead of try to enter into the spiritual reality. Okay? Because men in this material world cannot lift a hill, they do not believe that the Lord can lift one. They accept the statements of Srimad Bhagavatam to be allegorical and they try to interpret them in their own way. But factually, and this is probably talking about it from his realization, factually the Lord lifted the hill in the presence of all the inhabitants of Vrindavan, as corroborated by great acharyas and authors like Vyasadeva and Narada. So like for him, those are the great scientists. Though, you know, Vyasadeva and Narada, they're the Einsteins or, or whatever of this world, right? The Hawkins or whatever of this world, right? Um, so when he says Vyasadeva and Narada saw it, for us it's like, well, you know, for me, I never heard of Vyasadeva and Narada 43 years ago. Right, because you know, I just didn't grow up with that. But for you know, for someone in this tradition, oh, Vyasadeva, of course. Right, everything about the Lord, his activities, pastimes, and uncommon features should be accepted as is. And in this way, even in our present condition, we can understand the Lord. We may not have full realization, but we can understand the Lord. 
So this is the way, uh, if, you know, it's up to us, but if we want to become advanced in Krishna consciousness, this is the way to accept the pastimes of the Lord. And gradually, Krishna reveals those pastimes to us. But we can get realization even today, just if we listen with a peaceful mind, the different pastimes of the Lord, we, we can experience how the mind becomes peaceful, shanti. And in not only shanti, but enlivened. Oh, you know, Krishna is so wonderful. Right? Because there's so many beautiful pastimes of, uh, of even that example of Krishna lifting Govardhan Hill with his left pinky. First of all, it's pretty cool, right? He didn't like, oh, you know, sweating and, you know, like Atlas in, um, out on Fifth Avenue. There's a statue of Atlas in New York and he's holding up the, the, the world like, you know, like this. You know, and Krishna doesn't even use his, you know, his five fingers or his right hand, which is usually stronger, right? Just, no problem. What's the problem, right? Uh, you know. Um, so, and, and there's all kinds of really interesting pastimes that happen while he's lifting the hill. Even one kind of funny one, right? Where at one time the hill shakes a little bit, and so the cowherd men they have their sticks. And they're they're saying, "Well, we've got to help Krishna." Right? Which, which is not, but Lord Balaram knows what's really going on, right? Because Krishna looks at Radharani for a minute and then he gets a little shaken. And that's what happens. And Balaram knows. And he saw Krishna. <laughs> so um, there's all kinds. Of, and yeah, it's just a very, very wonderful um, pastime. But it's also, you know, has... It can also be an inspiration for us, uh, even in general, that... You know, when because the, the inhabitants of Vrindavan were in so much trouble with Indra sending this torrential downpour. Again, uh, some new people have come. Has anyone seen any of the videos about what's happening in Kerala right now with the, the flooding? Yeah, it's really just. Uh, although I saw someone sent me a funny, um, not a funny, but I just it wasn't meant to be funny, but I was laughing because it was uh, a, a temple in Kerala that was like half filled with water. And everyone was just kind of there, you know, uh, treading water, and some of them were you know, going down and bathing. And, you know, like that. and I said, only in India, you know, <laughs> just like there's a flood going on. Like, ah, you know, quite bagde, you know, no problem, <laughs> you know, because the temple was like flooded up to like here, you know, <laughs> in Kerala. But anyway, it's dangerous. Water, we know. It's, it's actually interesting, isn't it? When you think of the five basic elements of this world earth, water, fire, air, ether especially the first four, how much trouble they can cause? Earth. Anyone seen the outcome of earthquakes sometimes? Earth, Bumir, uh, Apo, Earth, uh, water, right? Flooding, right? And things like terror, incredible, right? Or uh, tsunamis, right? I was in, uh, I went to um, Chennai uh, during, uh, after the aftermath of the tsunami. Uh, we were cooking kitri. Like, I, I can't even, you know, it was like three times the expanse of my arms was the diameter of the pot that we were cooking and, and giving out free kitri to all the people. And all the, all the doctors from Bhaktivedanta Hospital, uh, not all of them, but uh, left the skeleton crew, they all flew down to Chennai and were doing medical treatment for free to all the people in Chennai. So we were distributing prashad like that. But anyway, this is the outcome of just water. And it was so devastating to the, to the town, the surrounding area of Chennai. And 
what speak of other parts of the world, right? So earth, water, fire. Anyone watching what's happening in California right now? Right, because I, I, where I work in the Department of the Interior, we have firemen. Um, I, I, I work with firemen a lot. Um, and the ones who smoke jump, they jump out of helicopters into the fire. You know, to, so, and we've lost uh, four firemen in the, this one fire, uh, the car fire. And they're going, and they're going, there's like uh, eight or nine major fires going on right now out west in Oregon, Colorado, and especially in California. So fire is such a devastating, right? So earth, water, fire, air, hurricanes, tornadoes, right? typhoons, if you live uh, on the other side of the world. So it's very powerful, right? Um, but Krishna, so this downpour was there and Krishna protected the inhabitants, right? So we can also, you know, allegorically, or not allegorically, but in a similar way, we understand that Krishna protects his devotees. Yes, if you know GI microphone. So what is ether? Is we uh, say the earth fire uh, or not? Uh, ether, yeah, ether is more subtle. Ether is what carries um, sound. Okay, um, ether is the most subtle of the gross elements, right? Bumir apo nalo vayu. Bayu means um, air, and then kang means ether, right? So uh, Krishna says that he's the sound in ether. So ether is this most subtle element. You can kind of think of it like, um, so the wind is blowing, right? Like let's say it was a, it was a, it was a um, windy day today, okay? Um, but so maybe it's windy up to a mile above the, uh, above the earth. But you know, we know that, that the air, or, the, or you know, the, you know, the above that air is, is this other part of the sky that is not windy, right? The wind is only you know, a mile or two, right? You know, even like in airplanes, right? They say, okay, we're gonna climb to 40,000 feet to avoid. So that air, that space, Beyond the wind blowing, the air blowing, that's considered ether. Yeah, vacuum. Yeah. Not well. Akasha. Yes. Yeah. That's. Oh, well, vacuum. Yeah. Is anything nothing? <laughs> right. Yeah. But the idea is that it's subtle. And to be honest, I've never, you know, yeah. That's why I said these four things at least. Um, but at the same time, we know that that which uh, uh, covers sound can be, sound can be incredibly devastating, right? Like the sound of Hitler's uh, speeches that, that caused so many people to, you know, right? Or sound can be so uh, wonderful, like uh, uh, the sound of kirtan or the sounds of uh, prayers, Things like that can be so healing, yeah. But anyway, my point is that these are powerful things, right? When you think about the, the devastations that happen in the world, a lot of them are caused by these powerful parts of nature. Yet, for example, where would we be without any of them? Can you think of anything that you eat that is not either directly or indirectly coming from the earth? 
right? Even you say, well, milk doesn't come from the earth. Well, what do the cows eat to live, right? So we are totally, we should be so respectful of Mother Earth, right? Because without, she really is a mother, just like the idea of a mother providing for the family, you know? Well, Mother Earth provides for all of us. You just think of anything that you eat. What about the clothes you wear? That cotton doesn't just come from um, with the well-spun factory in Mumbai. <laughs> I know the owner of the well-spun factory, by the way. Just, um, right? And uh, the, uh, the uh, bread that you eat, uh, or the atta, the, the chapatis that you make, that doesn't come from uh, the Patel store on, um, you know, in Rockville. Right? Right? Everything, we're totally dependent on the earth. Earth, water. Imagine living without water. Right? And the struggles of some people who do live very little water or none at all. Earth, water, fire. Right? You wouldn't be able to have that chapatis without <laughs> some fire. And what speak of air, can you imagine if we didn't, if, you know, if we just were in a vacuum with, you know. So. Um, we're very dependent. And these are all ultimately coming from the Lord. Aham sarvasya pravavo, matasavam pavartate. Krishna says that I am the source of all material and spiritual worlds. Everything emanates from me. So that actually makes logical sense. It's not just some kind of funky religious idea. Otherwise, that's fine. Okay, if you don't accept that, what is the origin? Okay? So even if you say, well, there was a Big Bang 10 to 20 billion years ago, and from the singularity came one-celled animals, and from that eventually became planets and zebras, and you know, et cetera. Okay, even if you accept that, where did the singularity and the Big Bang come from? Right, but where, how, what caused it? Or where did the elements that created it come from? No, you don't, you know, obviously no one can say they know, right? <laughs> so there's, so, you know, um, one can have competing theories, but one should think about which one makes more logical sense. So I know I just went on a whole <laughs> uh, speech there. Any comments or questions on anything that we just covered? Yes, Andy, uh, microphone's right there. My one doubt is that I don't... Only much. one doubt? That's pretty good. Well, it's a big one, though. I don't know if I believe in belief. I don't, I don't know that belief has any real use because um, I really want to make this comment before I'll admit it. Uh, <laughs> it's dangerous to say uh, the difference between impersonalist and personalist because it's like a coin flip, heads or tails. The impersonalist error is that they're saying that uh, God can't be a personality. And they can say, well, the personalist error is that they're saying God is a... You don't know. Well, so belief is, is not useful. That's, that's the point I wanted to make. It's right. not really useful. It doesn't matter if you believe uh, Krishna danced with the gopis or everything, every detail, what he was wearing and everything. But are you inspired by what he's doing? Is he the example? It doesn't matter. His belief... Like, like we said, your belief cannot affect him in the least. It doesn't right? affect Christianity. But I'm not sure it's a, useful at all uh, to believe. 
you know, you just, you either accept what he's doing. The, well, you know, okay, example. so, yes, good. So belief, uh, one way we could uh, use it in Sanskrit is called shraddha, faith, belief, right? You know, you could, you know, it's shraddha is shraddha, whether we call it, how we translate it in English, right? So shraddha is, um, is something that can be cultivated but also should be reasonable, right? You shouldn't have... Because usually when we, have, uh, when we have the word faith, the word that comes to mind, the preface is blind, yeah. right? And so blind faith is not a sign of intelligence, right? A matter of fact, uh, shangshaya, or doubt, is mentioned in this canto that we're studying now, is considered a uh, sign of intelligence. Having doubt is a sign of intelligence, right? And we know, living in this world, that it's good to have uh, some doubts. If you're buying a used car and somebody says, no, no, it's never been an accident, right? Well, it's probably good to get the Carfax, right, whatever it's called, right, and run the test and to see has it actually been, is it, what do they call it, a... Uh, There's a, what a, there's, a, there's a name for a car that's been pretty much totaled, but they try to fix it up. But anyway, whatever, yeah, whatever it is, you know, to see if it's been, you know, to see if the person's telling the truth, right? Because we know uh, that there's a lot of dishonesty in this world, right? Just open up a newspaper any day and, you know, right? Um, so therefore, just as uh, Prabhuji in the back was, yes, uh, earlier, he talked about Shastra Pramana. Right, and so the Vedas talk about different proofs or different things that can give us faith. Um, the first one is uh, pratyaksha. Pratyaksha means direct perception, using our eyes, our ears, our nose, our mouth, our sense of touch, to learn things in this world. And we know that that has we do that naturally, right? You know, uh, we do it in simple ways. Oh, well, this toothbrush made, this toothpaste made my teeth brighter than that toothbrush. You know, that's pratyaksha. That's a direct perception. Or this, uh, this atta made better puris than that atta. We're really into atta today, right? <laughs> um, or, or, or whatever. We have direct perception. And that gives us some knowledge, Right? Uh, then there's Anuman. Anuman means inference, right? Like you see, you, you see in the distance smoke, and you infer, you don't see the fire, but you infer that there is a fire, right? And we use that a lot to, to try to understand things, logic. And, and, but according to the Vedic tradition, the Shastra Pramana, is the topmost, and that is descending knowledge that's coming from a perfect source. Now we can have, we can doubt or not, we can accept or not accept that source being uh, transcendental and perfect. That's up to us. But that is the hypothesis, that is the understanding. Um, and so in that understanding, if one actually studies it carefully, one sees that um, the impersonal comes from the personal. Because Krishna says in the Gita very clearly, uh, Brahmano hi pratisht aham. Aham, we know what that means in Sanskrit? Me, I, right, yeah, I. And pratishta means the basis, right? 
And he says, Brahmano, he says, I am the basis of the impersonal Brahman. So again, we can, you know, you're right, the, the impersonal personalists in India will fight forever, right? The Advaitins and Dvaitans. Um, but that is what Shastra says. Now in our own experience, hopefully everyone in this room, when they, when they pray to Radha Madan Mohan and they uh, engage in Kirtan and listen to Shastra, they feel something. Now, uh, and, and that experience is that experience of uh, relating with the personal. Now the, imp now, the other thing is that personalists do not reject impersonal. There is Brahman. Right? Uh, and all Krishna is saying is he creates that. And let's say they were both there because they are both there. Then it's our choice which one is going to help me more? Because you get help from a person. You don't get help so much from an energy. So let me get help from a person. So that, that, that's just some of the logical things. And this, this could be a, a talk for five months on, you know, on, on Vedic, uh, uh, well, even hermeneutics. How do we know what we know? Right? And it's detailed, detailed philosophy. But, the, but it's good to know those three things are the three basic ways that we learn things. Pratyaksha, Anuman, and sh Shabda means hearing, and that means through Shastra. Okay? Uh, so you were talking about the five elements. Um, yes. I know in other traditions they have doctors who study the five elements, and they can diagnose a person and saying, oh, this element is dominant in this person. Right. Do they have that in the Hare Krishna tradition? Well, that's, that's the Vedic, uh, the, well, at least in, I'm not an expert in Ayurveda. But in Ayurveda, they, they basically have the three, um, what is it? Uh, Kapha, Pita, and Ayu, right? And when those are out of balance, you know, and there's, I used to go to this Ayurvedic doctor uh, in a very famous one in Delhi, just near the Nizamuddin train station. <laughs> it's funny because he's a very famous guy and he, you know, he's, he's um, kind of the, the source of uh, the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi's uh, uh, training in, in Iowa. But it's kind of like in this little dumpy place <laughs> outside of Nizamuddin train station. Uh, and he'd have hundreds of people. Luckily, well, I don't know if this is nice or not. Maybe I sound... Uh, uh, exclusivist, but they would, whenever they saw devotees, they would put them to the front of the line, which for me was great, because I had a lot to do when I, I lived in Vrindavan to go to Delhi for a day, and so I didn't, you know. But he would do the, take the, the pulse, Nidhan, it's called, I think. Not okay. And, uh, you know, so yeah, that's certainly um, to analyze things through, through those three, or through the elements, sure, that's, that's one way of uh, practically trying to uh, um, examine one's health. Um, the, the challenge with Ayurvedic medicine, I find at least, is um, whether you can actually get the pukka herbs, not, you know, that they've been, you know, Kali Yuga variety, but actually really good herbs. Uh, and the other thing to remember about Ayurveda, for the most part, is it's, it's um, uh, what's it, preventative rather than, you know, uh, to deal with uh, acute things. Sometimes people get confused with that and then they don't take care of themselves. But I find living in India, because I lived in India for 21 years, uh, it was always one of those confusing things, right? Because you had naturopath, you had homeopath, 
you had Ayurvedic, you had allopath, and they're all telling you to do something different. <laughs> oh, then you have the reflexology people, you know, you know and acupuncturists, you know, and it can get really bewildering <laughs> sometimes. Okay? All right, let's move on. I thought we were definitely going to finish this chapter, and we still have a ways to go. Uh, text 33. The wives of the performers of sacrifice said, My dear Lord, this sacrifice was arranged under the instruction of Brahma, but unfortunately Lord Shiva, being angry at Daksha, devastated the entire scene, and because of his anger, the animals meant for sacrifice are lying dead. Therefore, the preparations of the yagna have been lost. Now by the glance of your lotus eyes, the sanctity of this sacrificial arena shall again be invoked. The sages prayed, Dear Lord, your activities are most wonderful, and although you do everything by your different potencies, you are not at all attached to such activities. You are not even attached to the goddess of fortune who is worshipped by great demigods like Burma, who pray to achieve her mercy. The siddhas, the great uh, yogis on the higher planets uh, prayed like an elephant that has suffered in a forest fire but can forget all its troubles by entering a river our minds O Lord always merge in the nectarian river of your transcendental pastimes and they desire never to leave such transcendental bliss which is as good as the pleasure of merging into the absolute so this is this also came up right in some of the fires in California that the only refuge people could do is dive into the, the, the lakes nearby. Um, I don't know how long they could stay there. Right? But that's the one place the fire obviously uh, couldn't, couldn't enter. So here, and they said it feels safe. So here the example of an elephant in a forest fire can be relieved of the troubles if they can enter into a river. And that's compared to um, an understanding or hearing about Krishna's pastimes. Okay, continuing. The wives of Daksha prayed, My dear Lord, it is very fortunate that you have appeared in this arena of sacrifice. I offer my respectful obeisances unto you, and I request that you be pleased on this occasion. The sacrificial arena is not beautiful without you, just as a body is not beautiful without the head. And of course, that's kind of interesting because we're going to hear about um, Daksha's head in a few <laughs> verses from now. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, so they were so pleased that Vishnu appeared in the sacrificial arena. And then the governors, these are, um, the governors is the translation of the word uh, lokapal. Um, loka means planet, and pal means like a governor or a controller, right? The governors of various planets spoke as follows. Dear Lord, we believe only in our direct perception. We just talked about that, right? That was uh, Pratyaksha, right? But under the circumstances, we do not know whether we have actually seen you with our material senses. Like, is this just a dream? But our material senses, by our material senses, we can simply perceive the cosmic manifestation. But you are beyond the five elements, earth, water, fire, air, ether. You are the sixth. We see you, therefore, as the creation of the material world. The great mystic said, my dear Lord, persons who, are, who see you as non-different from themselves, knowing that you are the supersoul of all living entities, are certainly very, very dear to you. You are very favorable towards those engaged in devotional service, 
and accepting you as the Lord and themselves as the servants. By your mercy, you are always inclined in their favor. And Prabhupada writes that persons who are in full knowledge of the personality of Godhead, analyzing his different energies, and knowing their own constitutional position. So you understand that? So there's Krishna. There's only two things in this world in one sense. There's God and his energies. Parashya Shaktir, Vividhaya Suyate. So Krishna and his different, he has a material energy. He has a marginal energy, us, the jivas, the souls. And he has a spiritual energy, um, his, his great devotees, the spiritual world. Bhakti, devotion, is the greatest spiritual energy. So, and then, so they who, so one who knows the Lord, his energies, and our constitutional position. What's our constitutional position? Servants of? Of the federal government? No. Oh, oh okay. Really? I, no wonder I get things wrong at work all the time. Okay. I tell them, no, I'm not a servant to the federal government. I'm a servant. Oh, you're fired. <laughs> no, I don't do that. <clears throat> Are certainly very, very dear to the Lord. So when you have that consciousness, you're very dear to Krishna. Persons, however, who may not even be conversant with knowledge of the Supreme Personality of God, but who always think of the Lord with love and faith, feeling that he is great, and that they are his parts and parcels, even his servitors are even more favored by the Lord. So the idea is that Srila Prabhupada would say this, uh, that he's written you know, 84 books, you know, huge, amazing. Anyone's written that many books in 11 years after the age of 70 while traveling 14 times around the world and starting a spiritual movement. It's actually totally incredible. So he wanted us to be very philosophically strong. But some people just aren't, some people are illiterate. And they can still, just in a very simple-minded way, chant Krishna's name and be spiritualists. It's not, it's not the sole possession. Spirituality is not the sole possession of the intellectuals. It's everyone's janmakar. Uh, janma, we know what that means, birth. And kar means your eligibility or your adhikar. And everyone has, just by, just by being alive, everyone has a relationship with the Supreme and the potential to perfect it. Whether a brilliant scholar or a, uh, and even sometimes a, you know, a brilliant scholar can get in trouble being proud of their scholarship. Uh, in one place in the Gita, there's this one beautiful sentence where Prabhupada says, the sincere sweeper in the street is more advanced than the charlatan meditator. The person who's just trying to, you know, om, om, and trying to show off their spirituality. But it's all about them. It's not about God. <laughs> so better to be, you know, a sincere sweeper in the street than a fake. Or as John Lennon once said, one thing you can't hide is when you're crippled inside. <laughs> so we should be sincere in our approaches. And... Uh, for those who are just very simple-hearted, we shouldn't make fun of them. At the same time, if we have the capacity, we should use our intelligence, our mind, to study and understand the scriptures very deeply. Because they are very deep. So there, uh, the particular significance of this verse is that the Lord is addressed as vatsala. Vatsala means always favorably disposed. The Lord's name is bhakta vatsala. 
The Lord is famous as Bhaktivatsala, which means he is always favorably inclined to the devotees, whereas he is never addressed anywhere in the Vedic literature as Gani Vatsala. That means, you know, just a person who's very intellectual, <laughs> but someone who loves him, whether an intellectual or a simple-hearted person. Mm -hmm. So that is, of all of Krishna's qualities, the quality he likes to be remembered the most does is Bhakta Vatsala, one who exchanges love with those that approach him with love, regardless of their background. Apaka Brahmana, or, uh, or whatever, doesn't matter. Um, there's a verse, Kiba Vipra, Kiba Nyasi, Sudra Kenanoi, Ye Krishna Tattva Veda, Se Guru Hoy. It doesn't matter if one is a Brahmin, a sannyasi, or, some, or you know, in the Vedic system, a sudra, or less than a sudra. If one knows the, uh, the science of Krishna, they are a spiritual master. They are a guru. It doesn't matter our birth. Any thoughts, questions, comments? Gurdas? Microphone? With apologies, uh, relating to the discussion we just had about faith, um, if we go back to the last verse, well, the one about the governors, right? Um, it appears that it's it's a very interesting prayer. Uh, we can't, we're not sure whether we perceive you uh, by our material senses, but then they say at the end, "You are a, beyond the five elements." You are the sixth. So it seems like they're actually invoking a measure of faith, even though they say, we, well, we only accept what's in front of us, but you are beyond the five elements. That seems like... Well, it's hard to predicate what's going on in their mind. I just took it as kind of like a sense of humility that they see Christians right there. And it's just inconceivable that Krishna has been so kind to them as to reveal himself to them. Like that. They've, gone, they've gone beyond the matrix. You've seen that movie. Thank right? you. <laughs> Someone told me that the best explanation of Brahman is um, from Star Wars when Yoda is uh, the, the spacecraft crashes into the lagoon and uh, it can't be raised. And Yoda says, you have to understand the all-pervasive energy and connect with that all-pervasive energy. And then he does his thing and the craft comes out of the lagoon. But anyway, <laughs> interesting. You remember that? <laughs> yes. Okay, uh, carrying on. Text 39, we have 15, 14 minutes left. We offer our respectful obeisances unto the Supreme who has created varieties of manifestations and put them under the spell of the three qualities of the material world in order to create, maintain, and annihilate them. He himself, so this is you know, such an important point, right? The, the three modes of material nature, goodness, passion, and ignorance, those are the energies that govern the material world. But Krishna is not under that control of the external energy. In his personal feature, he is completely devoid of the variegated manifestations of material qualities. 
and he is under no illusion of false identification. Then the personified Vedas, they offer, I, we offer our respectful obeisances unto you, the Lord, the shelter of the qualities of goodness, and therefore the source of all religion, austerity, and penance, for you are transcendental to all material qualities, and no one knows you or your actual situation. The fire god said, my dear Lord, I offer my respectful obeisance unto you because by your favor I am as luminous as blazing fire and I accept the offerings mixed with butter and offered in sacrifice. The five kinds of offerings according to the Yajur Veda are all your different energies and you are worshipped by the five kinds of Vedic hymns. Sacrifice means your supreme personality of Godhead. And then the demigod said, uh, my dear Lord, formerly... When there was a devastation, you conserved all the different energies of material manifestation. At that time, all the inhabitants of the higher planets, represented by such liberated souls as Sanaka, were meditating on you by philo uh, philosophical speculation. You are therefore the original person, and you rest in the water of devastation on the bed of the Shesha stake. Now today, you are visible to us, who are all your servants. Please give us protection. So just a few more prayers. The Gandharvas said, my dear Lord, all the demigods, including Lord Shiva, if we had time, we would analyze all of them because they sound like all kind of the same when you go through them quickly, but there's subtleties amongst them. Uh, all the demigods, including Lord Shiva, Lord Brahma, Indra, Emarichi, and the great sages are all only differentiated parts and parcels of your body. You are the supreme almighty great. The whole creation is like a plaything for you. We always accept you as a supreme personality of Godhead. We offer our obeisances unto you. Okay, now the Vidyadhara said, My dear Lord, this human form of body is meant for attaining the highest perfectional objective, but impelled by your external energy. The living entity misidentifies himself with his body and with the material energy, and therefore, influenced by maya, he wants to become happy by material enjoyment. He is misled and always attracted by temporary illusory happiness. But your transcendental activities are so powerful that if one engages in hearing and chanting of such topics, he can be delivered from illusion. So... Um, Let's read a little of the purport here. The, the illusion is that the conditioned soul does not try to understand his spiritual identity. He is more interested in his external body, which is only a flash, and which will be finished as soon as the time is designated. So if you close your eyes for a second, and you try to think about your life, and... All the things that have happened, your childhood, your teenage years, however old you are up until now. And however old you are, if you're 35 or 65, you know, if you're 65, try to think about what you were like 68 years ago. If you're 35, how about 38 years ago? Now, obviously, we can't really imagine that, right? If we can open our eyes. But uh, the, you know, there's a few choices, right? 
we, one choice is that we, uh, we believe we're not, there's no soul, right? And, you know, uh, we're just a bunch, you know, a bunch of chemicals and a combination of things that came together because our mother and father came together and had a relationship and then we were born and then after this is all over, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That's one concept, right? And then there's another concept that would say that somehow we came into creation just in this life. And this is the one life. But we have a soul, but the soul is... And then at the end of this life, there's a judgment. And that's it. And then the third concept is the Vedic concept of uh, basically three things. Atma, uh, samsara, and karma. And all three are intertwined. You can't have one without the other. Right? So this is saying that we are atma, we're the soul, and the soul is eternal. And we have, uh, the karma is those activities that create a material body. So depending on our activities in the past, we've created the body that we have now. And according to our activities in this life, we'll get a different kind of body in our next life. And that is samsara, so the wheel of birth and death. Right? So if we accept that worldview, that we're a soul, transmigrating. There's a, there's a subtle difference between transmigration and reincarnation. At least the way reincarnation is explained in, in uh, People magazine or whatever. Often in reincarnation we kind of think there's some connection between this life and the past life and we, have some, we still have some bridge there. Right? But transmigration of the soul means we are the soul, we're not this body, and at the end of this life, the soul enters into a totally different temporary reality. And we don't remember much of anything, if anything, from our previous reality. Right? So from a Vedic point of view, to take this life as the all in all is a deep kind of illusion. It's a, it's, a, it's a lightning flash in eternity. We may experience, it may seem like a long time, but you know, it's, it's in history, what is uh, 80 or 100 years that we live? It's, it's, you know, it's peanuts, right? <laughs> so from a Vedic point of view, um, he, he is more interested in we should be, the person in illusion is more interested in the external body, which is only a flash, and which will be finished as soon as the time is designated. The whole atmosphere will change when the living entity has to transmigrate from one body to another. Under the spell of a Maya illusion, we will again be satisfied in a different atmosphere. This spell, imagine a spell. We think of Harry Potter, right, casting spells and things, right? So we have a spell on us. This spell of Maya is called Avaranatmika Shakti because it is so strong that the living entity is satisfied in any abominable condition. Even if he is born as a worm, Lying within the intestines or abdomen of, or in the midst of urine and stool, he is satisfied. This is the covering influence of illusion. But the human form of life is a chance to understand 
And if one misses this opportunity, he is unfortunate. So again, this idea, the Vedic idea, we're a soul, every living entity, the tree is a soul, the dog, the cat, right? But, you know, but you don't see dogs having a philosophical discussion. They have some idea, right? They, they, they're, they're smart, right? They know where is food, you know, and, and also they, they're very, they can be very, uh, what do they say in Hindi, chalu? They can be, right? Because they, they know how to manipulate their master. It's a question of who's the master and who's the servant, I think, right? Right? Because the dog stays home and sleeps and eats, and the master goes out to work in the you know, factory or in the office. You know? And what does he do? He has to pay for the dog. Right? And when they go on vacation, especially in America, it's very expensive to find someone to take care of your dog when you go on vacation. Right? You, spend more, you spend more on that than hotels sometimes. Right? So who's the master who's the servant? It's a, it's a, it's a tricky question. Right? Um, and so as intelligent as dogs are in some ways, right, they don't, they can't think philosophically. They can be very smart about eating, sleeping, mating, and defending, right? But, trying to, but you don't see dogs coming around and saying, who am I, where did I come from, what's the goal of life, is there God, you know, what about climate change, you know? They're not, they're not. So the human form of life is rare. Uh, out of the 8,400,000 species, 400,000 species of humans. Uh, and, it should, and it should be used intelligently. Not just to eat, sleep, mate, and defend in a more polished way than the dogs and cats. Because if, 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 if you think about it, because if you think about a dog or a cat, or, that's basically their focus, right? Eating, sleeping mating, and defending, right? Dogs are really good at that. Who's at the door, right? Right? Isn't that, that's a big thing for them, right? You know? Um, so that's defending. So we may eat in a nice restaurant or something like that and instead of whatever a dog might, you know, or sleep on a, you know, a numbers bed instead of on the ground, right? Um, and defend with, you know, um, ballistic missiles and, uh, ADT, is that the name of the company? You know, right? You know, or having alarm systems. But it's really just a polished, more polished way than what the animals have. So the human life is meant to inquire, who am I? Where have I come from? Where am I going? What is the goal of life? And the interesting thing is, because um, someone might think, oh my God, now if I really understood I'm not my body, and even my family relationships are temporary. So, that, so I don't want to think like that because that would lead to being callous to my family and things. But no, that's not the case. If one actually takes to Krishna consciousness and understands that my family members are souls and that they have a relationship with Krishna, and if I, so if, if we together as a family have a relationship to Krishna, I actually have more love for my, my children, more love for my spouse, more care for them because it's not just based on a temporary materiality, it's based on an eternal uh, reality. So it's actually uh, a truly uh, spiritual family life is, is on a much higher uh, and more meaningful level than just, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch, and if we don't get along, okay, well then there's divorce, right? 
where the kids say, I can't wait until I'm 18 and I go off to college and get out of the house. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing isn't there in a, in a spiritual relationship. So here Prabhupada says, the human form of life is a chance to understand, and if one misses this opportunity, is most unfortunate. The way to get out of illusion is to engage in the topics of Krishna. Lord Chaitanya advocated a process whereby everyone remain in one presence position. I mean, you don't have to take sannyas. You don't have to put on saffron. You don't have to reject this world. You can keep working as an IT professional or a doctor or a lawyer or, you know, whatever. Um, don't change your position, but simply hear from proper authoritative sources about Krishna. So take time to hear about Krishna. And then he said something even wilder. He said, Lord Chaitanya advised everyone, that means everyone in this room, to spread the word of Krishna. He said, all of you become gurus. Your duty is simply to talk to whomever you meet of Krishna or of the instructions given by Krishna. So we can become gurus ourselves. Guru Andy has a nice ring to it. <laughs> Very good. So time is up. Um, I only had one other purport that I was going to read, uh, or two actually. So just um, finish this, and we will start next week. You know, read it on your own. It's only a few more verses, and we will start next week with Druva Maharaj, the young five-year-old child who became a great devotee. So thank you, Hari Krishna, all glories to Shri Prabhupada.